It's only a kick. A jump. A block. It's only a serve. It's only a tackle. A run. It's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. DeAndre Hopkins suspended six games for violating PED policy today, and it was still a horrible move. It is Canty and Carlin on ESPN Radio and on ESPN Plus, not to mention SiriusXM Channel 80 and on your smart speaker at Play ESPN Radio Network. We are presented by Progressive Insurance. Tweet us at Chris Carlin, at Chris Candy, Canty 99. First of all, before we get to the Hopkins situation, let's get to Adam Schefter, ESPN senior NFL insider, appearing just a little while ago on NFL Live. On the news that Hopkins was getting suspended from the Cardinals for six games, again for violating PED policy, and why there won't be an appeal here for this suspension. My understanding is that appeal has been withdrawn, not going to happen. Essentially, the suspension is final and binding, and so the Cardinals will be without DeAndre Hopkins for the six games, and there'll be another obstacle that this team has to overcome as it deals with Kyler Murray's unhappiness, as it tries to come back. Remember, Christian Kirk is in Jacksonville. Chase Edmonds is in Miami. This team has some weapons to try to make up for, and now one of the biggest blows of all, DeAndre Hopkins is gone for six games. Look, it's a kick in the pants. There's no getting around that. They went out and traded for Hollywood Brown. I, giving up a first-round pick for him made absolutely no sense to me, even with this news being the case, because I think they could have gotten an actual better receiver at 23 than what they traded away. The Cardinals are in a in a not-so-great way right now, even though they have improved each year the last couple of years. I, I look at the Cardinals, and I think that when you don't have a player like DeAndre Hopkins for the first part of the season, and it's a significant part of the season, that could ultimately make the difference between you winning the division, even making the playoffs at this point. No doubt about it. And when you look at the Cardinals strength of schedule for 2022, they've got the second toughest next to the Los Angeles Rams. So good luck with Arizona missing DeAndre Hopkins for the first third of the season because that's not going to be easy to overcome. I'll be interested to see which way the schedule breaks, and we'll get more information about that a little later this month when the NFL releases the schedules. But this is a huge blow for the Arizona Cardinals because you're talking about a team that's ready to take off now and try to compete for a championship. And, Carlin, we know this. It's easier for teams to be able to figure out how to do that while you still have a quarterback that's on a rookie contract. Now, based on the things that we've heard from Kyler Murray's camp, you're starting to get to the end of that road. So you have to have some urgency in terms of trying to compete for a championship in 2022. And I just don't know that you're going to be able to set yourself up to be able to do that with DeAndre Hopkins being out six games. What I think you have to do right now is is get the Murray situation settled. If it's just a Band-Aid for a couple of years here, and, and just so it's not going to be a problem. Because the Cardinals now, I think we can officially say, they have problems mounting. Mm-hmm. Is that fair? I think it is. Mm-hmm. So now you need to take any drama out of the quarterback situation that you can and if you're not convinced about paying them for the long term, work something out here. Because there is an in-between middle ground here. But 
Like, I look at what they have done, and I don't feel great about a lot of it right now. I mean, their top three receivers are DeAndre Hopkins, Marquise Brown, and Rondale Moore, and now Brown is gone. You still have A.J. Green, who's 94 years old. <laughs> and, you know, and same thing at tight end with Zach Ertz, and you just, like, that's why I don't understand Trey McBride's great tight end prospect. Yeah. Why are you drafting a tight end with your first pick on in the draft? It, well, it makes well, no you, sense to Well, me. here's the thing. If you look at how Arizona wants to play on offense, they like the inline tight end, and they want a guy that can be more of a blocking type at the point of attack, and they don't have trained killers at blocking in, in terms of the tight end position with Zach Ertz and Max Williams. I played with Max in Baltimore. Let me tell you what he's not, a guy that wants to stick his nose in there when it comes to the run game. So – they needed that presence in order to be more of what Cliff Kingsbury envisions, but a second-round pick is awful rich. I thought they could have done more on the offensive line and helped themselves in terms of being able to add more talent to that group to try to keep Kyler Murray upright because you're talking about a guy that went into the wild-card game, nicked up, and he came out of the wild-card game even more beat up. So how about trying to keep the number one overall pick from three years ago upright? Let's start there before we talk about adding more weapons to that group. I mean, one of the big things they did for the offensive line, Will Hernandez. I mean, Will Hernandez is a guy. He's a failed second-round pick for the New York Giants. Yeah, exactly. There's no other way to qualify. Right now he's starting at right guard for the Cardinals. How good do you feel about that? That's not a good place you, you to be. You feeling good about Justin Pugh these days? No. So no. You're, you're just going to get all the failed offensive linemen for the New York Giants? Uh, basically. <laughs> and, but And then you look at the defense, and look, Isaiah Simmons I like. I, I like Isaiah Simmons and his ability, yeah. but I don't look at anybody else at this point. Buda Baker's a good player. I don't think Buda Baker's great. Do you think Buda Baker's great? No, but they got, right, a, maybe he's they very got, they got a they got a pretty damn good corner in Byron Murphy, and Zayvon Collins flashed a lot in his rookie year. I, they've got pieces on the defensive side of the oh, ball. Okay, but they're not a terribly young team outside of Murray and one or two pieces on defense. They're yeah. not. No. So no. that's what... Whenever you're not a young team, that window has to be open in that moment. There is no part of me, even with Hopkins healthy, that felt like the Cardinals' window is open right now. There is no part of me that looks at the Arizona Cardinals and and says, despite the fact that they won 11 games last year, that team's going to go out and contend for an NFC championship this coming year. No, no. I, I have no thought to that whatsoever. No, and every part of me says that the Arizona Cardinals are the third best team in their own division. Yeah. Behind the 49ers and behind the Los Angeles Rams. And don't try to tell me any different. I get that Arizona had a better regular season record than San Francisco. Who was in the conference championship game again, Colin? Yeah. Yeah. Who, who who came a Jukorski Tart interception away from going to the Super Bowl? <laughs> it wasn't the Arizona Cardinals. It was the San Francisco 49ers. And, oh, by the way, they've been in the conference championship game two of the last three years. Against the other team in your division, the Rams. Who just won the Super Bowl. And are going so nowhere. So give me a break when it comes to the Arizona Cardinals being better than third in the NFC West. I got to see it before I'm willing to believe it. And it's frustrating to see that because – Even though they have improved, I have zero faith that that's going to continue. And, in fact, I think they're going to regress this year. I would expect it. And then you're really at a decision. You're really at a point where, all right, we have DeAndre Hopkins here. What are we doing with him? We have Kyler Murray. Is he our guy long-term? Okay, then maybe we'll sign him long-term. But beyond that, our offensive line is a disaster. 
and we have guys, J.J. Watt, what's left? Yeah. I mean, but I have, think you have to ask that question about DeAndre Hopkins, too. I yeah, mean, what's you're, left? You're, you're talking about a guy, when you're looking at him, he had surgery to repair that MCL injury that he suffered late in the season. He, he, three years he's, ago, he, three years ago, he's the best receiver in the league. No question now about he's it. Not. And he's, he's getting not. Paid, and he's getting paid twenty-seven and a half million dollars a year. Yeah. So you've got to make a decision when you get to the latter part of that contract extension that you gave him. What are we doing with DeAndre Hopkins? And is he going to be the same guy on the other side of this injury? Because if he's not, then we got to find a way to be able to get something for him and move our program forward. Chris, right now. The ship be sinking, and yeah. and they're bailing out some like water. It, it yeah. feels like it. They're, you better start bailing out some water and plugging some holes. And plugging hole number one is figuring out a way to make the quarterback happy without just going overboard if you don't feel like you're one hundred percent locked in on it. So what you're saying is, if the Arizona Cardinals wore a stock, you'd be shorting them right now going into twenty twenty two. The big short. The big short. That's right. <laughs> okay. Exactly. Because they're about, be, they're about to go into a win recession? This could be 2008 with the whole housing market, brother. 888-SAY-ESPN, 888-729-3776. It is Canty and Carlin on ESPN Radio. Up next, boy, Draymond Green made sure to make his case after the fact about not picking up any more of a potential suspension and maybe even getting his flagrant two reduced. But... Was it actually fair for him to get ejected yesterday? We'll tell you why it absolutely was. Canty and Carlin, ESPN Radio and ESPN Plus. Ten seconds on the clock. How many things can you name that are always growing? Your relationships. Your skills. Your customer base. How about businesses on Shopify? <laughs> Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage, to the first real life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage. Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash network. All lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash network now to grow your business. No matter what stage you're in, shopify.com slash network. Canty and Carlin, ESPN Radio. I, I, if you think that Draymond didn't deserve to get suspended, I can't help you. I, I really, <laughs> I just, I can't help you. Because Draymond is complaining about the fact that this is all about reputa- re- reputation. Hmm. My response to that would be, a doy. Of course it is. <laughs> of course part of it is. Because you have earned every bit of that reputation. So yesterday... Draymond, second quarter, um, in case you haven't seen it, swipes Brandon Clark across the face, 
grabs his jersey and pulls him down in the middle of his shot and then kind of tries to grab the back of him to make it look like, oh, let me ease you down onto the hardwood. But he still face plants down. Exactly. He still face plants down and doesn't believe for a second he's getting a flagrant two, maybe thinks he's getting a flagrant one, but he gets ejected from the game. He runs around looking like an idiot, but that's what Draymond does, and I'm not that surprised by it because... Uh, Once you saw him running around, you knew he was getting thrown out of the game. Here's Draymond, who didn't speak to reporters after the game, but did take to his podcast after the game, the Draymond Green Show from the Volume Sports. And here he is explaining uh, what happened with the ejection and how he feels about it. I think tonight uh, was probably a reputation reputation thing more so than um, a hard foul. By definition, if we go through the definition of a flagrant two foul, I'm not sure that play would quite be the definition of a flagrant foul. I'm not sure it would meet that criteria. Look, I actually agree with him, Carlin. Yeah. The swipe in and of itself might not be a flagrant two. The jersey pull down in and of itself might not be a flagrant two. The combination of the two? Mm-hmm. Absolutely a flagrant two. Of course And it that's is. where Draymond has got to miss me, man. He should have been ejected. Yeah, yeah. And if you had any doubt, if those refs were sitting on the fence, the reaction that they got from Draymond after they announced that they were upholding the flagrant two was enough for them to feel justified because he acted like a jerk. He made it a spectacle. And that has to factor into the math when the NBA League office reviews whether or not they should downgrade the flagrant two to a flagrant one. Because let's keep in mind, the reason why Draymond Green put out a podcast last night, it wasn't because he wanted to get something off his chest about what happened in the actual game with the flagrant two foul call. It was him trying to appeal to any kind of sensibilities that the league office would have, any type of credibility that he has built up, in order to prevent him being suspended because of the accumulation of of flagrant foul points, you know when it gets to a certain point, I think it's four, you get suspended for a playoff game. If he got another flagrant two, he would get suspended. He would be suspended. And we saw that happen in the 2016 NBA Finals against the Cleveland Cavaliers. And one could argue that that one-game suspension was the inflection point, was the pivot point in that series for the Cleveland Cavs. So Draymond understands how important that is. But my question is, if you have that level of awareness, if you know how important you are to your team's success, then why not just give up the bucket to Brandon Clark and keep it pushing? Yeah. Why, why did you feel the need to pull him down and to make sure that he couldn't get that 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 shot up when you decided you were going to foul him? That part of it makes no sense to me. Well, there, there's two things, and I'm not defending Draymond here. If I, if I said suspended at the beginning, I meant ejected because he, yeah. he should have been ejected from the game. No doubt. He shouldn't be suspended after the fact. Yeah. Now, Having said all of that, I think there were two things. Number one, can we agree that this this these playoffs have been officiated a little more loosely where they have given some more leeway to play more physically, as the, they often are? The officiating has been terrible in the playoffs. Oh, I agree. It's, it's been, been bad. Awful. But, they, awful. but they have been, would you say that they have let it go a little bit more? They have been a consistent across the board with allowing more physical fouls. Exactly. Yes. Exactly. So I think Draymond probably was taking advantage a little bit of that. But he's also... That's always going to be called, though. The foul that he yes. had against Brandon Clark is always 
going to be called. There, there's never going to be a situation where that's a no call. But because he, he knew put, that. He put Brandon Clark in jeopardy. Brandon Clark was defenseless when he left his feet, Carla. Yes, he completely was. But he, he knew that. But I don't think in any way he thought he was going to get a flagrant two for it because there's a little more leeway. Again, not defending him. He absolutely deserved to be ejected from the game for it. And back to the other part. Draymond, do not use reputation as your excuse for why you should not be ejected. That is absurd. You know that your reputation has been well-earned. So it's not necessarily about, well, it's Draymond Green. It must absolutely be a flagrant. But it's it's Draymond Green. Mm, we're kind of in between here. You know, we know his history. We know what this is about. We know that we should probably side more on being a little bit more restrictive with what our penalty is going to be. Let me help paint the picture for that because you're saying it's a reputation that's well-earned. Here's Draymond Green in his playoff career. Number of technical fouls, 24. <laughs> it's the most since he's been in the league. Flagrant fouls, five. Second most since he's been in the league. Disqualifications, nine. Tied for the most since he's been in the league. So it's a reputation that's well-earned. You haven't done yourself any favors. You don't get the benefit of the doubt. And no. when it comes to those borderline plays, if you want to even consider what happened at the end of the second quarter yesterday in Memphis borderline, it's not going to go your way. But Draymond is far too intelligent not to know better, Carlin, and that's my biggest problem with that situation as far as his side of it goes. Now, the biggest problem I got with the Memphis Grizzlies is you had a whole half of basketball without Draymond Green and you still ended up losing on your home court in game one. Do you think their spirit's broken after that? Carlin, here's what I'll say. I don't know if Jaron Jackson Jr. and John Moran can play any better. The two combined for 67 Jackson points. For sure. The two combined for 67 points. Wait, John Moran came one rebound shy of having a 34-point triple-double. Mm-hmm. I don't know that they can be any better. Maybe if you want to say, well, Ja hitting that layup at the end of the game could have been the difference. Listen, Clay Thompson made a heck of a help side defense play on that. I mean, it was a heck of a play that I, Clay I Thompson made. I don't look at made. that. I don't look at that but, as but, a but, mislayup. No, I not, look at that as a good defensive play. That's a play. good defensive play. Yeah. So all I'm saying is this. I don't know that Ja can play any better. I don't know though that Jaron Jackson Jr. can play any better, and you still lost. And no Draymond on the court. You got out-rebounded by the Golden State Warriors. Help me with that one, because I still Chris, struggle with it. I can I can point to a few things here and say, yes, those two guys were at their best. I'd specifically say that with Jackson, but I'd also point to things that helped Golden State that just don't happen. The offensive rebounds and second-chance opportunities for Golden State, they just don't happen like that. That was one of those games where every random bounced ball went their way. But Carlin, I'll tell you something else that doesn't happen. Golden State having 18 turnovers that leads to 26 points for the opposing offense. That doesn't happen. Look, it happened yesterday. For for the record, I'm with you. I absolutely have the Warriors winning this series. You know what else doesn't happen, Carlin? Golden State doesn't lose when it comes to the three-point contest. Memphis had more three-point makes and shot a higher percentage than mm-hmm. Golden State did yesterday. 
I get it. Still didn't win the damn game. I get it. It's it's disappointing not to win that game. But I don't think for a minute that Memphis came out of that game, that Taylor Jenkins came out of that game saying, well, we're dead. We can't even win like that. We're dead. No, I, I don't I don't believe that. I think that's still a young team. And sometimes a young team's going to take it in the bad direction uh-huh. of, oh, God, you know, and just be completely beaten down. We've seen that before. Sure. That's not this team. This team's a highly energetic team. I'm going to be very surprised if they go down quietly. They may lose game two, but I'm going to be very surprised if they go down quietly. And by that, I mean losing less than six. So we lost game one on our home court to the odds-on favorite to win the NBA championship, and you're not worried a little bit? I'm worried. If they lose game two, how are you going to feel? I'm not going to feel good. <laughs> Listen, I don't expect them to win the series. What I'm saying, you are painting me as saying something I am not saying. That's okay. I'll tell you, the Warriors are going to the conference finals. I said that before the game. They're going to the NBA finals. Yeah. But, I, but, we'll I'll let, but, I'll, but I'll let you enjoy we'll the suspense. See. But for the moment, if I'm the Memphis Grizzlies, I don't walk out of yesterday and say, I'm done. I say, oh, dear God, I can't even beat them when everything like that went our way because I do have to be able to look at the flip side of it and say, well, some things went their way too. There is a championship pedigree. You see the championship pedigree when Steph Curry makes the play on Morant that he did at the end of the game. That is a championship play, and they will end up making more of them in this series. This series will be a learning experience for the Grizzlies, but it's not over. It's not over. Okay. It's not over. Deal with it. You see this look on my face? This is the look of skepticism. I, I this is that. the look of skepticism. No, that isn't when you say it's not that, over. <laughs> That's not the look of skepticism. That's the look of you're out of your damn mind. That might be it. Yeah. Okay, we got to go to break. Oh, God. 888-SAY-ESPN, 888-729-3776. The NBA playoffs are on ESPN Radio. Tune in tonight. Suns host the Mavs. It's presented by Indeed. Coverage, 9.30 p.m. Eastern on most ESPN radio stations. Up next, so who actually did come out of the draft and help themselves the most? The great Mina Kimes joins us next. Canty and Carlin on ESPN radio. Now, let's talk about the play of the week. The pressure to follow up Hypnotic and Cognac, weighing heavy on the team. Hypnotic was in the cup, blue and ready for the play. And boom! Añejo Tequila came in with a smooth assist to Hypnotic's tropical fruit finish. Shaken, strained, poured. It was green and good! The playmaking splash shifted the tempo. Another great cocktail from the Hypnotic team. Every season is Hypnotic and Tequila season. Hypnotic Liqueur, Bardstown, Kentucky, 17% alcohol by volume. Hypnotic reminds you to think wisely, drink wisely.
It was a strange trade over the weekend. Maybe it makes a little more sense. All right, stupid. It was a stupid trade over the weekend. Maybe it makes a little bit more sense today. But nonetheless, I will stick to that. And right now, on Canty and Carlin here on ESPN Radio, presented by Progressive Insurance, we go to the phones. We welcome in Mina Kimes, ESPN NFL analyst. Of course, the Mina Kimes show featuring Lenny, the podcast. Follow her on Twitter at Mina Kimes. All right, I'll get to the Cardinals in a second. But just as a fellow football fan, I have to say that I looked up uh, on Twitter the other day. And when the Seahawks passed on Malik Willis, we all as football fans have the guy that we are dying for our football team to take. Mm -hmm. And Mina posted a picture of herself when they passed on Willis and her head was in her hand like... I mean, I think the only word I can come up with would be despondent. Is that a fair word to use when they passed on Malik Willis? I think the phrase that the kids use these days is down bad. Um, but I've been <laughs> down bad since the Seahawks traded Russell Wilson, man. But but I, let me let me say something. I've actually kind of come around on all of this because um, I think absent of – if I was Seattle, I would have just taken a flyer and a quarterback given how, uh, frankly – cheap they were from a value perspective in the draft, you know, going in the third round and the upside I see in Willis. But I also think that they affirmed what many of us have suspected, but I've been waiting to see what they did with the quarterback position, which is this is in a team in full rebuild mode. And in doing so, you know, outside of, I thought, I thought the Kenneth Walker pick was rich, which I think was why I made that face or I posted that, but they really took a bunch of players at premium positions, offensive mm-hmm. tackle and cornerback, especially. And I think that's a really smart um, draft approach generally. And they also took players that I liked, you know, Charles Cross experienced pass protector out of Mississippi state. I thought state was, I thought was a fantastic pick. The two cornerbacks, Kobe Bryant, Tariq Woolen, you get very different attributes, high floor, high ceiling. So I'm curious to see what happens there. So I think like, if you start thinking about the Seahawks in a long-term view, Playing for next year when the quarterback class is undoubtedly better, you get you kind of feel a little bit more comfortable with what they did. Well, the third step of draft grief is rationalization. <laughs> yeah. so, well done, Mina. Well done, I'm there. Mina. Mina, I'm there. Listen, I'm fully co- coping. You're still coping. <laughs> well, well, Mina, I thought coming into this weekend that the Philadelphia Eagles were the team to beat in the NFC East, and everything that happened not only on night one but on the second day when they were able to steal N'Kobe Dean and the Cam Jurgen out of Nebraska. I just felt like the Philadelphia Eagles only solidified what I believe coming into this year, that they are the team to beat in the NFC East. Do you see it that same way, or are you still riding with the Dallas Cowboys? I, I know I do think the Eagles have a, undoubtedly a better roster now. I think if Dak Prescott returns to the early 2021 form, I would probably just go with Dallas because I think he's the best quarterback in the division. But I absolutely loved everything the Eagles did in the draft, you know, starting from day one, taking Jordan Davis player. I adored who I think um, allows them to get younger on that interior defensive line. And he can develop some pass rush moves, but for now allows them to play with lighter boxes versus the run. Love that trading for AJ Brown, just an established number one wide receiver, excellent compliment to uh, Devonte Smith in terms of their skill sets. And then as you mentioned, like grabbing the Kobe Dean, man, I, I think, you know, we're hearing a lot about him being injured and that sending his draft uh, status down and explaining it, but I just think he's the smartest 
fat, one of the fastest defensive players in the draft, and I can't wait to see what they do with him. Mina Kimes, ESPN NFL Draft Analyst, joining Canty and Carlin on ESPN Radio. Mina, uh, DeAndre Hopkins, the suspension that comes down today, six games for PED uh, use. We find out over the weekend, you know, they make the trade on Thursday night to go get Marquise Brown. Just evaluate this whole Cardinals situation for us, a team that has taken some incremental steps forward. Well, I, I think just losing DeAndre, DeAndre Hopkins is um, massive for this offense. We obviously saw how much they struggled without him last year. The inability of Cliff Kingsbury, frankly, to make adjustments down the stretch in the playoffs. Um, and, of course, you know, training for Hollywood Brown brings them another wide receiver that they certainly could have used last season, but he doesn't have the versatility, the hands, notably, um, of Hopkins, the ability to tilt the field. He does bring, you know, obviously a speed element to that game that Kyler Murray will take advantage of. But I think this, again, poses a challenge to Cliff Kingsbury, who should frankly be on the hot seat, which is you've lost your number one wide receiver. You ain't rolling out 10 personnel anymore. You drafted a tight end, Trey McBride, out of Colorado State. I think quite good. And you've got Zach Ertz there. What sort of adjustments are you going to make with the players you have? And I think that's going to largely determine the course of this season. So, Mina, we touched on the two wide receivers that were traded day one of the NFL Mm -hmm. draft. There was a wide receiver that we speculated could be on the move in Debo Samuel that was not traded on draft day weekend. What did you make of the move by the 49ers, Kyle Shanahan and John Lynch? Stay in pat with Debo Samuel, and where do they go moving forward? Yeah, I think it speaks to not only how much Debo Samuel is obviously valued in that offense, but the fact that they do have some leverage over him um, You know, in terms of um, the new CBA, if he doesn't report for camp, then he's a restricted free agent next year, which he obviously doesn't want to be. You have to pay a ton of fines if you don't show up. I think the 49ers are aware of this. And I think also their asking price in this situation is clearly much higher than any team was able to offer. We've heard rumors about you know offers from the Jets and whatnot. And I, I just think um, San Francisco values him too much and feels that they can hold on to him. Mina Kimes, ESPN NFL analyst, joining us. Mina, the Patriots are catching a lot of heat for what their draft strategy was over the weekend. And in reading Mike Reese's story on ESPN.com, it seems like analytics played a major role in evaluating some of their prospects. They were talking about something called relative athletic scores. What is your take on the Patriots draft and now incorporating that into how they are going about selecting their players because if there's been a weakness of the Patriots over the years, it's been the draft. Yeah. I mean, I, I, I have seen, you know, uh, the athletic scores for the guys that they did draft, notably Cole Strange, the guard that they took in the first round, I think really shocking everyone. Um, Tyquan Thornton, the receiver they took. And I think that plays into it, but I would also note, like when you consider an analytical approach to drafting, Typically, that also weighs in positional value um, and, you know, factors other than just pure athleticism. And I think what surprised a lot of people at the Patriots was the sense that they were taking players a lot higher than uh, they were valued on most people's boards, which, um, you know, the obviously boards aren't everything, but reaching is a real thing because 
what happens is you miss out on other players and you get players that you probably could have been able to draft later. I think that was so what was so perplexing, along with the positions, you know, taking a quarterback uh, where they did, Bailey Zappi above Sam Howell, by the way, in the fourth round, when that's far from a big need on this roster, a roster that has a glaring need at cornerback. I, I was just puzzled by that. I mean, awesome stuff. We appreciate it as usual. Thanks. Mina Kimes, ESPN NFL analyst, joining us. Canty and Carlin, ESPN Radio. Up next, where do the Browns and Baker Mayfield go from here? Next, ESPN Radio. This podcast is proud to be supported by Jets Pizza, the number one pick in Detroit-style pizza. Why? It's simple. Jets is better. With the thickest, crispiest, cheesiest Detroit-style pizza in the country, there's no competition. Right now, get $5 off any eight-corner pizza with code 8SAVE. That's the number eight, S-A-V-E. Go to JetsPizza.com to learn more and find a location near you. Again, try Jet's signature eight-corner pizza and get $5 off with code 8SAVE. That's the number eight, S-A-V-E. Jet's Pizza. Better because it has to be. Hi, it's Mike Greenberg letting you know ESPN Bet is ready to take you through all the biggest sports moments this spring. The official sportsbook of ESPN has exclusive offers and markets from Scott Van Pelt, Stephen A. Smith, and me, plus many more. From the playoff intensity to finally getting out to the ballpark, there's no better time for sports fans. Sign up today. New users get a bet reset up to $1,000 in bonus bets if your first bet doesn't win. Download ESPN Bet today. What a play. Must be 21 plus and present in select states. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply. See app for details. NIL seems to be getting a little bit out of hand. It's Canty and Carlin on ESPN Radio and on ESPN Plus. And Pitt coach Pat Narduzzi called up USC's Lincoln Riley. He was very upset with Lincoln Riley because the Bolitnikoff winner from this past year, a wide receiver, the nation's best wide receiver, Jordan Addison, is transferring to USC. At least it appears that way. And Along the lines of tampering, if you will, what you talk about in the NFL, Pat Narduzzi kind of intimated that was the case with Lincoln Riley. But the NIL part of this, 
It seems as if Addison is going to get somewhere in the neighborhood of $2 million in NIL work. I'm not done. And a house as well, and perhaps a car as well in NIL work. Wow. That's a wow. Be- that's a beautiful thing. I have to tell you, what what person in their right mind would turn that down? Nobody would. Nobody. But Carlin, here's the thing: now we know the going rate for a receiver that caught 100 balls and 17 touchdown passes last year. It's this, the best this, in the country for this, a reason. This is what it cost in the transfer portal in an NIL deal. And here's the thing that people have to get past: this is going to be the way of the world in the college football landscape, and coaches that are resistant to change are going to find themselves left behind on this. Well, Chris, here's the thing that I'd say to all the Pitt fans that are ticked off that he's leaving now. Settle down. Because even if the NIL didn't exist, just draw up a picture for a moment. Jordan Addison just lost his quarterback, who was a first-round pick. Yep. He just lost his offensive coordinator. Mm -hmm. He just lost his wide receivers coach. Yep. And... He wants to be a first-round pick next year. And when you look around while wide receivers in the league are getting paid and how highly they're valued in the draft as they were the other day, you're looking to do everything you can to make sure that your production does not drop off this coming year. No question about it, but you left one major factor out. He also has ties to new USC transfer Caleb Williams that came over from Oklahoma with Lincoln Riley. Both of those guys are from the D.C. area. So it's not outside of the realm of possibility that Caleb Williams played a factor in uh, in Addison wanting to go out to SC. But let's be honest about it, man. Lincoln Riley has a bigger profile than Pat Narduzzi does. SC has a bigger profile than Pittsburgh does. The commitment that that program has to football is different than what Pittsburgh is willing to commit to their football program. So it's just a step up in every way as far as Jordan Addison is concerned. And when you talk about players wanting to put themselves in position to win, he absolutely is doing that by what he's getting on the NIL deal and how he's setting himself up to play at the next level. Where's Baker Mayfield going? What's left? Canty Carlin, ESPN Radio, ESPN app, and of course on Sirius XM Channel 80. I I don't exactly know where the best fit is for Baker Mayfield anymore. The Panthers may be interested. They drafted Matt Corral the other day. The Seahawks didn't draft a quarterback at all. They didn't like any of the options that were there. Mm-hmm. Maybe he ends up there. But when, just when, are the Cleveland Browns going to realize we're going to have to pay 80 to 90% of what Baker Mayfield is making this coming year, $19 million, to get him off the team and trade him somewhere else? If I'm the Seahawks, I would make the trade. Why? Because there may still be an opportunity for Baker Mayfield to be a true NFL quarterback. And if you're going to find out this coming year is the time to find out if you're Seattle, when next year you could potentially be in the draft for one. But, but here's what I would ask you. If Seattle, more likely than not, is going to be in that pool of teams that wants to be at the top of next year's draft, why would you invest anything in bringing over Baker Mayfield? Well, I mean, that's that's the part well, of it that I, I don't know. I'm telling you to invest because, because, a seventh-round pick and having the other team why, pick why, up all why, the money. But why would I give him anything? That's that's my whole point. Why why give up anything? If I add Baker Mayfield, it's not going to make me any better than the worst team in my division. So why am I adding Baker Mayfield? Well, because if I feel like Baker Mayfield still has a chance, then maybe I don't have to go draft one next year. Baker Mayfield but, doesn't have a chance to be as good as C.J. Stroud or Bryce Young. 
He doesn't. So are the Seahawks going in full tank mode? Is that what we're talking I, about? I, what I am saying is... Because it doesn't feel like they're, they, no, they're it planning it on that. It doesn't feel like they're planning on tanking, and I'm not saying that, that Pete Carroll and John Schneider are actively trying to do it, but I think by default, because your division is what it is, you're going to be in the cellar of the NFC West. And I can do that with Baker Mayfield, but I can also do that with Geno Smith or Drew Locke, and I just so happen to have both of those guys under contract. Now, I don't necessarily think that they're better than what Baker Mayfield is bringing to the table, and maybe there's a case to be made for having competent quarterback play while you're trying to develop the younger players on your roster. But at the same time, I don't know that I want to put any kind of investment, whether it's draft but, capital or cap dollars, all right, but it and throw like, them at Baker Mayfield's way. It sounds like you don't want to – you don't feel like Baker Mayfield has a spot anywhere if that's the case. I don't think he has a spot as a starting quarterback, and if he's going to be your you backup – You don't have to be a starter. Well, why do you want to absorb that baggage for a backup? Tell me that. Oh, oh, tell me that. If he's not going to be a starter, why do you well, want a quarterback that's your backup to have all of that noise coming with him? Why would you want that? Because two things. No, it's not that I would want the noise. It'd be like two well, things. But, but there, there is the, the noise is coming. The noise is coming, sure. But here's what I would say to Baker. You're trying to save your career? Because that's where we are. So shut up and go play. <laughs> that, that's it. And you may get your opportunity because if we're bringing in Baker Mayfield, good chance our quarterback situation isn't great to begin with. Yeah. He's not going to Pittsburgh now. No. That's not happening. No. Carolina, maybe. Maybe. But again, they drafted Corral. Do you want to bring him in? If you're the Panthers organization, not if you're Matt Rule. I don't think this should be a Matt Rule decision. If you're Scott Fritterer, their general manager, do you really want to bring in Baker Mayfield when you just invested a top 120 pick in Matt Corral. Chris, I got three letters for Baker Mayfield if he doesn't want to shut up and go play. XFL. That's it. That's what we're looking at here. And if you're Baker Mayfield, if you're if you're too unenlightened is a nicer <laughs> way to put it. If you're too unenlightened to realize that you need to handle yourself in a much better way here, no matter where you land, I can't help you. But if I'm a team that is probably looking at it next year. Why wouldn't I take that guy for a seventh-round pick paying him a million bucks out of the 19 he's owed? Why wouldn't I at least take a shot? And if he's a problem, see you later. Goodbye. It's not a bad idea. I would just say there are only a select few teams that are equipped to be able to absorb all of the things that come along with Baker.